Welcome to the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill, and while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 14. The people of Israel had been oppressed by the Philistines, and they had found some deliverance under Saul, the king. But then the Philistines returned in force, and they had thousands of chariots and thousands of men. And Israel started out with just 2,000 men under Saul's command and another 1,000 under his son Jonathan's command. And then the people fled in fear. Some left town altogether. They, they skipped out and were refugees out aside of Israel, others hidden caves. Some went and joined the Philistines, said, hey, we're with you guys. We think you're going to win. We like to back a winner. And it got to the place where that 2,000 under Saul and 1,000 under Jonathan was down to 600. And they were all together, 600 total. And then in a great act of faith, Jonathan and his armor bearer went up against an outpost saying, you know, it, the Lord could deliver us with just one, one or two people. He doesn't need hundreds or thousands. And so they went up and they took on this outpost and that caused confusion in the Philistine camp and they began to flee. And then Saul took his men and joined the battle. And now it's 600 or so are there. And then People from Israel who had been hiding in the caves saw that what was going on and they joined the battle. And then those who had been in the area but had not stood up with the army, they joined the battle. And those who had gone to the side of the Philistines switched back and said, hey, Israel, we're with you. And so they joined the battle and the Philistines were being routed in confusion and fear and panic against a vastly inferior enemy. But it says in verse 24 that now the Israelites were in distress that day because Saul had bound the people under an oath saying, cursed be anyone who eats food before evening comes, before I have avenged myself on my enemies, and none of the troops tasted food. This is a bad idea. Now, it makes sense if, if what Saul was trying to do was to say, hey guys, we can't quit now. We have the momentum, we have the initiative, we cannot let up for a minute. We have to go hard against our enemies. Makes total sense. But it's not just always what we want to accomplish, but how we do it. And so Saul puts the people under this oath. You can't eat anything until the sun is down, until I have avenged myself on my enemies. It's not about the people. He's not thinking about the people, their welfare. He's not thinking about the glory of God. He's thinking about his own personal glory. So none of the troops tasted food. Now, that's not good. If you are running and fighting and, and you have a pause in the battle for a moment and you can reach into your pack and, and maybe grab a piece of bread or, or a little bit of dried meat or something to give you some nourishment to keep going, to take a drink of water, and now you're bound by orders of your king under threat of a curse, which they took seriously back then. So none of them tasted food. And the entire army entered the woods and there was honey on the ground. And when they went into the woods, they saw the honey oozing out, yet no one put his hand to his mouth because they feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father has bound the people by the oath, so he reached out with the end of his staff that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb, and he raised it, his hand to his mouth, and his eyes brightened. 
And then one of the soldiers told him, your father bound the army under a strict oath saying, curse be anyone who eats food today. And that is why the men are faint. So remember, all of this victory is happening because of Jonathan stepping out in faith. And then his father Saul comes in and says, I'm avenging myself on the Philistines. You know, it's funny how that happens where God does something, does a work, and then somebody comes along and tries to claim credit and take control. They try to claim credit and take control. And that's what Saul's doing. And so Jonathan has no idea about this order. He's just, I'm hungry. Let's, let's eat. Hey, we've got some honey here. It's, it's tasty. It'll, it'll give us a little bit of energy and we can keep on fighting. And so then somebody tells him about the, the, the oath. So verse 29, Jonathan says, my father has made trouble for the country. See how my eyes brightened when I tasted a little of this honey. How much better would it have been for the men if they had eaten today? Some of the plunder they took from their enemies would the slaughter of the Philistines have been even greater? So he's saying, hey, we could have done more, but you bound us under these rules. I spoke a little bit about this last week, but I want to address this again. You might remember last episode, I talked about hearing the story of of these Christian bands that went to England and there with other young British Christians in the late 70s, they were doing gospel preaching and outreach and people were responding and then the churches said no because they wanted to take control and they wanted to have it, you know, this isn't our system. How can God be moving outside of our system? And a story that I heard over and over again in my time in England from people in my parents' generation was, yeah, I I had this experience in the 70s, but I was shut out of the church. How much greater would God's work have been if his church had been on board? I'm thankful. I'm thankful for churches here in America that got on board with God's work. Some of them, it took a little longer, but they got on board. And, and my own personal story of faith comes from Christians who got on board with God's work in that time. So Jonathan just speaks truth. He's not trying to be disrespectful. You know, how can he speak that against his father? That's disrespectful. He's speaking the truth. And last week I talked a bit about generational handoff. And uh, one of the things that's happening is we're having generational handoff between the boomers and the millennials is if you're used to just people telling you yes and no and you're in charge, I'm speaking to the boomers, and then a millennial adult I'm a millennial. I'm, the, I'm, I'm one of the oldest millennials you can be. I'm 40 years old. I'm, no young person thinks I'm young. But I'll tell you, there's times where I go sit in meetings and people talk about, you know, oh, you're just a kid. And I'm like, yeah, I, I want to be so respectful to older people. And, and I think I've got a track record of that, especially in the last several years, you know, last five, six years that I've been here at Faith on Hill. Um, I want to be so respectful to older people. But there comes a point where if somebody who is young or young to you speaks the truth, are you going to hear it? And Saul was wrong. Saul was wrong. And Jonathan spoke, who was actually young at this point, spoke the truth about it. Verse 31. After the, at that day, after the Israelites struck down the Philistines from Michmash to Ajalon, they were exhausted, you think? They pounced on the plunder and taking sheep, cattle, and calves. They butchered them to the ground or on the ground and ate them together with the blood. Now that was something specifically forbidden in the law. 
and we now know why, right? Like, um, you know, foodborne illness uh, plus blood was often or almost always linked with ritual paganism and sacrifice uh, that was forbidden in the law. So God said, don't have any part of that. There was a way that they were supposed to handle the animal humanely and hygienically. There was a way they were supposed to handle the animal humanely and hygienically, and they weren't because they were so hungry that they just said, let's just get it going. Let's eat the food right now. Then someone said to Saul, look, the men are sinning against the Lord by eating the meat that has blood in it. And he says, you have broken the faith. Roll a large stone over here at once, he said. Go out among the men and tell them, each of you bring me your cattle and sheep and slaughter them here and eat them. Do not sin against the Lord by eating meat with blood still in it. So everyone brought his ox that night and slaughtered it there. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord, and it was the first time that he had done this. And then Saul said, let us go down and pursue the Philistines by night and plunder them till dawn. Let us not leave one of them alive. Do whatever seems best to you. But the priest said, let us inquire of God here. So Saul asked God, shall I go down and pursue the Philistines? Will you give them into Israel's hands? But God did not answer him that day. Saul said, therefore, come here, all you leaders of the army, and let us find out what sin has been committed today. Now, before we get into that part, the reason the people were sinning was because of a situation that the older generation set up. The older generation had denied them. The older generation had denied them nourishment. And so then when they had the opportunity, they didn't handle it well. What I would speak against Saul was that he created the situation that now the younger people were being blamed for. What I would say to his credit was then he created a way to get out of it. Here, let's set up this situation so that you guys can appropriately, safely, hygienically, and in a way that pleases God, you can butcher this meat and then we're going to establish an altar and we're going to worship God. That was good, okay? And so I think that's one of the things between generations too. It's really easy for us to find all the faults. It's really easy if you're a millennial to find all the faults of the boomers. It's really easy for the boomers to find all the faults of the millennials. And it's really easy for Gen X to say everybody's dumb. That was a joke. But let me tell you something. I hate the term okay boomer because it's dismissive. It's disrespectful. But boomers, there is a reason why my generation has that term. And I think both can be true. You can say it's, a, it's, a, an, it's an unfortunate term that is disrespectful and, and it, it creates harm. It it's not, does more harm than good, but there is a reason why it exists. So I want to speak truth. Hey, Saul created the situation. It's his fault. And at the same time, speak something that's also credit, give credit to him. He got the way out of it. And it's kind of the same situation here where then they go inquire of the Lord and God does not respond to them. So he says, all right, we have to figure out what sin is happening that God is not responding to us. Verse 40, or verse 39, as surely as the Lord lives who rescued Israel, even if the guilt lies on my son, Jonathan, he must die, but not one of them said a word. So what Saul's saying is like, no one is going to be exempt. Everyone will be treated fairly, okay? Now, that's good. Again, we're going to speak truth and give credit. We're not going to just broad brush and, and caricature. It's good that he is saying, hey, no one is getting a special treatment. If even my own son was the one that committed the sin, he will be dealt with as if he was the lowest soldier in the army, as if he were the least important person. That's good. 
We see so much uh, nepotism and favoritism. You, you, you know, I mean, that's the thing. When you hear about these uh, big churches, big ministries that have all kinds of scandal and sin, nepotism and favoritism are always part of the deal. Ten out of ten times. Guarantee it. So that's good. But then he says, but they'll have to die. Well, you don't know what's going on. Is that what God wants? Do you know the sin? Do you know if there is sin? You've made all these assumptions. That's the bad, is that you've already passed judgment without knowing the details. One of the big challenges between generational shifts is getting past the caricature and the assumption and actually talking with one another and asking questions. And it's messy and it can be painful, but it's important. Instead of just saying, all right, death sentence, right? We've pronounced it without knowing everything. He, he should have said, everyone will be treated equal. Now let's go inquire of God and figure out what the sin is. Verse 40, then Saul, Saul said to all the Israelites, you stand over here and I and Jonathan, my son, will stand over here. And they said, do what seems best to you. Then Saul prayed to the Lord, the God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant today? If the fault is with me or my son, Jonathan, respond with the Urim. But if the men of Israel are at fault, respond with the Thurum, the Thuman. So Jonathan and Saul were taken by Lot, and the men were cleared. The Uman, Uman and the Thuman, they are not easy to say. You try it. You think I sound silly? You try it. Um, they, there's not a 100% consensus on what they were. But near as we can tell, they were two stones of similar size, shape, and texture. The idea was that you couldn't tell. You reached into a bag, there's two stones, and you couldn't tell. They had been um, polished, smoothed, so that they would be indistinguishable by feel. One was light, one was dark. So it was a yes or no question. So basically, um, if you have, a, you have a yes and no situation. Here's Saul and his son Jonathan over here, and here's the rest of the people over there. And, you know... One means yes, one means no. You know, is it, is it uh, the people? No. Is it Saul and Jonathan? Yes. Okay. So that's how they kind of get these answers. They would say, God, you, you, they're leaving it to chance, but what they're trusting is that God divinely would ordain the chance. That's the system. So, uh, let's see here. Then verse 42, Saul said, cast lots between me and my son Jonathan. So, you know, if it's, if it's, if it's the uh, light stone, it'll be Jonathan. If it's the darker stone, it'll be Saul. And uh, they cast lots, and it fell on Jonathan. Then verse 43, Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey at the end of my staff, and now I must die. And I think he's calling his dad out. You put this ridiculous rule that should not have been, this burden that should not have been placed on the people, you put it on them. And I did this thing not knowing, and I did this thing that was just common sense, and now the, the, the penalty falls on me. <coughs> Churches do this all the time. They have this unspoken rule. They have this unspoken rule that is not in the Bible. It's not part of, like, historical faith. It's just something that, for whatever reason, over the, you know, 10, 20, 100 years the church has existed. It just kind of develops within the church culture. And then somebody who doesn't know any better breaks that rule and the penalty comes down on them. Verse 44, May God deal with me, said Saul, be it ever so severely if you do not die, Jonathan. But the men said to Saul, Should Jonathan die? 
He who has brought about this great deliverance for Israel? Never. As surely as the Lord lives, not a hair on his head will fall to the ground. For he did this today with God's help. So the men rescued Jonathan and he was not put to death. So the people stood up to the king and said, look, this isn't right. He has not actually sinned. He just broke a oath that you put in place. He hasn't done anything wrong. In fact, God's been with him today. So the people stood up and said, hey, not okay. So Saul stopped pursuing the Philistines and they withdrew to their own land. So Jonathan was rescued, but it put a halt to the defeat of their enemies and it limited the victory. Let's backtrack this. Saul and his men are cowering, they're hiding, they're despairing. We talked last time about how Saul did a sacrifice that he was not supposed to do out of fear that his men would leave him. And then Jonathan in simple faith, gets up one morning and says, hey, you know what? God doesn't need a whole army. Let's see what he'll do. And he goes up and in faith steps out and God starts working through him. And then his dad swoops in to take command and control and then puts a burden on people that God did not require. And then when all kinds of trouble comes from that burden, instead of taking ownership, I should not have done this. The fault was mine He tries to, he's going to kill his son so that he can maintain what he thinks is the proper order of things. And the people stand up and say, no, but the victory is limited. Legalism kills the victory of God. Sin kills the victory of God. I'm going to say this. I believe that God's work could be increased if we would shed our rules and things that we just put in place arbitrarily. Now, I'm not talking about getting rid of biblical truth. I'm not talking about actively seeking how to follow the holy ways of Jesus. I'm talking about the cultural things that people have created. And I think it limits what God can do or what will do in a place, in a people, in a time. I also think that there are previous sins that lead to limited victory. Let me, let me give you an example. In the last 20 years, one of the big uproars in the Protestant evangelical church has been over the redefinition of marriage. Yet, that same church was silent when the marriage was redefined as between a white man and a white woman. That same church was silent when marriage was redefined. What's, what is it that they say now? Marriage is between one man and one woman. Yes, I agree with that. I believe that is the biblical, uh, the biblical norm. Does that mean that I'm disrespectful to my friends who are in the LGBTQ community? And I don't just say that, oh, my friends, like in general, like I have gay and lesbian and bisexual and transgendered friends. I, I have pe- people in my life that I have good relationships with who live outside of a biblical norm for marriage and human sexuality. I still want to treat them with love, with respect. But isn't that what they say? One man and one woman. And yet that church was silent. The same churches were silent when people said marriage is between one white man and one white woman and one black man and one black woman. As somebody who's in an interracial marriage myself, I don't appreciate that the church was silent or even supported the redefinition of marriage in times past. I'm not saying every church, but a lot of churches did. A lot of Christians still do. 
when you, when you get down to it. There are Christians today who would prefer that their children or grandchildren not marry somebody who isn't from their own ethnic or racial group. Sinful. And it says that Saul stopped pursuing the Philistines. After Saul, after Saul had assumed the rule over Israel, he fought against the enemies on every side, Moab, and so on. And we'll get into that next week, but our time has run, and so we will stop at 20 minutes. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. I know I hit some things that were kind of uh, hot-button issues or pointed issues. We like dialogue instead of just disagreement. So if I said something that you had a question about that you disagreed with, you can email me, adam, at faithonhill.com. Talk to me about it at church. We have coffee. I'm all for it. You can follow us at Faith on Hill, and we gather together every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We meet throughout the week in small groups and home groups. You can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com for more information. Have a great week. We'll see you again next time on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and our Facebook page for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.